0: Welcome to Community Hope Podcast. We pray that the word of Christ would dwell in you richly as you listen and that you would be encouraged in Christ. So the armor of God, we talked a little bit about the battle last week and the spiritual forces, the fallen celestial beings. And and I was thinking, and last week I said, you know, any time you share the gospel with somebody, you are in spiritual warfare because... The God of this age has blinded the minds of those who don't believe, so they can't see the light of the glory of the gospel, the glory of Christ. And, and, and as you share the gospel, the seeds are going out, and maybe faith is being planted, and they'll be able to believe, and they get transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. But I also think that the, there are spiritual forces that just don't like us. They don't like us. And, um, and I, sometimes it's hard to discern you know, what's the enemy, right? Sometimes um, things are affecting our, our spiritual life. We're getting angry at people or things or situations or like there's stuff coming at us and we don't know if it's the person, is it the world, the flesh or the devil, right? Like, but I think it's always healthy to ask, is there something behind this? Is there something bigger behind this? Are there is? Am I facing someone here, and I'm agitated at them, but is there a player behind it? Lord, help me to keep in the peace that you want, in the grace and love that you want me. And so as we go through this series on the armor of God, I think it's always important in the midst of the battle, in the midst of, of living our lives, in the midst of bringing the gospel to the world, to be cognizant of... The stuff that shakes up our spirits, that takes our peace, that gives us anxiety and go, hmm, is there something behind this? Well, Gretchen read this passage, but I think what's interesting is it begins with strength. And today, I want to talk a little bit about how we put the armor on. I want to talk about what it looks like to be strong. And then I want to talk about the belt of truth. And in the beginning, look what he says, finally be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. And then he says, put on the whole armor. And then down a few verses, he says, therefore, take up the whole armor that you can stand in the evil day. And when you've done all this stand, stand firm then. And I used to think, well, Paul's in prison, You know, Gretchen read earlier about Paul being in chains, and he looked at the guard, and he thought, oh, God's like that, a helmet, this, that. And, you know, it might have triggered him, but I believe Paul was steeped in Scripture. Like, Paul knew the Old Testament. There was no New Testament. He was writing it, right? He he was steeped in Scripture, and he knew about this passage that was prophetic about Jesus in Isaiah eleven five, 5. And it says, Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, and faithfulness the belt of his loins. So he's talking about a belt there. And what's interesting, there's a um, Septuagint, which is like a, a Greek translation of the Hebrew scriptures, that there were like 70 people who got together and translated it. And they actually translate that word from faithfulness to truthfulness, to truth. It's, it's interesting. So when Paul is saying the belt of truth, I think he's thinking of the Septuagint and the translation there. And also he knew about Isaiah 59. The Lord saw it and was displeased that there was no justice. He saw that there was no man and he wondered, was there no one to intercede? And then his own arm. And I every time I see God's arm in the Old Testament, I think of Jesus. This is this is prophetic his own arm brought him salvation and his righteousness upheld him and he put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head so i think it's important because when we start talking about this armor whose armor is it is it your armor or is it god's armor right see I think God has the armor, and you and I, in this mystic union that we have with God, are wearing the armor. Does, does that make sense? It's, God, it's the armor of God, and we wear it in our union with him. Earlier in Ephesians, Paul writes that we are seated with Christ at the Father's right hand in heavenly places. Now, I don't get that, right? Because I know, Frank, you're sitting there next to Lori, right? You're not. But somehow, he says, you're also seated with Christ, It's a mystic union, right? And Galatians says, I've been crucified with Christ, therefore I no longer live, but Christ lives within me, and the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave his life for me. So just as I'm seated, Christ is here, right? When he died, I died. When he rose, I rose, and he lives in and through me. So we put the armor on by faith. We believe what the scriptures say is true about us, that we're we're united with him. I mean, that's deeper than any marriage union. You have this beautiful union with God who knows you, loves you, and lives in you. And, And then look what it says. It goes, finally be strong in the Lord and Put on the whole armor. What comes to your mind when you think about like getting dressed in the armor? You know, is it like heavy shield, right? Breastplate. Here's something fascinating. This is just a screenshot of one of the Bible programs I use. Look, look what it says in my circle there. In the sense of sinking into a garment. Who would think that? Like sinking into an easy chair sinking into your like favorite clothing. I go through favorite clothing. Do you guys, when I was a kid, I had a pair of tennis shoes I knew I could run faster in. Did you guys, did you have that? You know what I'm talking about? And I go through like things, I'll find this thing in my closet and then I'll be like, oh, I like this. And I'll start wearing it again when I Gretchen and I'll wear it like four days in a row or whatever, you know, like get up in the morning, just throw it on, take it off, you know, like it, and if you sink into it, it's like a nice garment. Like we don't wrestle with the armor, we slide into the armor. We do it by faith. It's like this, this fits us perfectly. This fits us so well. And he goes, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. By the way, Cleveland Museum of Art, parents, if you haven't taken your kids to the court of armor, you've got to do that. This is like one of my favorite places as a kid. I mean, what kid doesn't like armor and swords and armor for horses and Old-time guns, I know, okay, maybe one kid doesn't. I don't know. Then take them to see Picasso. Um, but, but it's like a really, it's like a cool thing. And, and, and here's the thing. When you think of yourself as I am growing up in the Lord, I am growing spiritually, right? What do you picture in your mind? What does a strong Christian look like? I mean, really, what if you get to where you want to be, what will you be like? You know, will you be like, like, see the growth picture down there? You know, (laughs) spiritual growth. This is what they taught in in a church, you know, when you get strong, right? Oh, hand that to Billy, because he looks like that guy, right? You know, I don't think that's the picture of growing in strength. And you're like, what? Because it seems to me like if you think of growth that way, what you're thinking is now you can do it on your own. You become more independent and less dependent. You know, I I think when we grow, we become more childlike. By the way, newborn grandson and granddaughter up there. but you are not to be like that instead the greatest among you should be the youngest and the one who rules like the one who serves the greatest like the so it doesn't he didn't say the greatest is going to look like mr olympia right or mrs olympia we like somehow when we're strong not of ourselves in the strength of the lord we are more childlike more vulnerable, more dependent. I mean, sometimes we don't like these kind of words to describe us, and yet, who is strong in Christ? It's the ones who know how weak they are. I've said it before. I'll say it many times. You know, the Lord, so many churches, they don't pray the Lord's Prayer regularly, and people don't pray the Lord's Prayer regularly. And I don't think, oh, just rote prayers are magic, but if somebody says, Jesus... You know, God incarnate, the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. How should we pray? And then he gives you these words. That might not be a bad thing to do, right? Not a bad thing. And in it, he goes, lead me out of temptation and deliver me from evil. You know, those strong people don't need to be led and delivered. They can lead themselves. But children need you to take their hand when you cross the street, right? Children know that, oh, I need that. And that's what we are. And we're strong when we know our weakness and we cry out to him. You know, it's interesting, David comes against Goliath. And he's offered armor. And you'd think with this armor passage that David would be wearing the armor. But, but when he comes against Goliath, and, you know, Saul is like, David, you're a boy, you know. He's like, nope, God's gonna give me victory. And nobody else is gonna stand up to him. Saul's like, put on my armor, but this would be like, you ever see how kids walk around in like their mom or dad's shoes, right? This is exactly what David experienced. You know, he was a small, dark skinned, like, he was the runt of the family. He was so runt like that his dad didn't even bring him in with all the other brothers to be considered to be the next king. You know, the prophet's like, don't you have somebody else? He's oh yeah, there's a guy out in the field, but you don't really want him. He's like, bring him here, right? And so Saul dresses him in his armor and his tunic, and he puts a coat of armor on him and bronze helmet, fastens a sword, and David tries walking around, and he's like, I can't do this. Like, this is not good for me. So he goes against Goliath just as a shepherd. And Goliath, you know, he's like, you come against me in sword and shield, and David says... I come against you in the name, right? He doesn't go with my sling and rock. I can hit anything, you know, 1,000 yards out. You know, no, he's like, I come against you in the name of the Lord. That's where his strength was, and that's where our strength. I mean, we have battles. There are spiritual battles, and our strength is in our weakness, And our strength is in our need when we cry out to God because grace always runs downhill. Grace is like water, says Philip Yancey. It flows downhill and pools to the lowest places. You know, we all proud. You know, it's like you lock yourself off from grace. But when you know of your childlikeness and your neediness and your vulnerability, grace runs downhill to the lowest places. And this is interesting. This is from, I know it's not Lutheran, but it's the Westminster Confessions. And it's interesting because sometimes in our battles, we lose. And sometimes we go through really difficult times and struggles with sin. And look look what the Westminster Confession says about that. It says, the most wise, righteous, and gracious God doth oftentimes for a season his own children to leave, I'm sorry, oftentimes leave for a season his own children to manifold temptation and corruption of their own heart, to chastise them for former sins, or to discover unto them the hidden strength of corruption and deceitfulness of their own hearts. He's like, yep, these people, they're starting out like big strong man. And God's like, no, I'm gonna allow you to see how wicked your own heart is. Why? Humble you, to humble you, to raise them up a more close and constant dependence for their support upon him and to make them more watchful against all future occasions of sin. Isn't that an interesting concept of God? You go through something and you're like, well, maybe the Lord is allowing this struggle in my life right now, this difficulty, this brokenness, dare I say this sin, because he wants me to know that it is not by my might or my power, but it's by his spirit that he's going to weed this out and walk us on. Does that make sense? See, our strength is in our humility and in our need and in our vulnerability and in our childlikeness. That's how we wear the armor because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Grace is like water. It always goes downhill. Now, I've been reading a couple books on this uh, subject of the armor of God and really enjoying this one called Perfectly Suited, um, I ordered five copies just to give them away, and uh, it, it's just a great, a great book. And he deals with the armor of God in terms of anxiety and other emotional struggles. And he says, you know, when I wear my armor, my natural armor is not the armor of God. You know what he said it is? He goes, I have the belt, pl- belt of denial. What problem? Problem? What problem? Right? And then he said, I have the breastplate of humor. It won't hurt as much if I make a joke about it. And then he goes, my feet are ready with a plan of escape. I'm just going to check out for a while. I have the shield of perfectionism. I will get this right. I will get it right the next time. I wear the helmet of avoidance. Less exposure equals less pain. And I have the sword of blame. It's not my fault. It's yours, theirs, or somebody else. Now, he goes on. I blew up the page so I don't have to wear my glasses. And he, uh, he says this. My armor has su- some additional elements God, uh, that God doesn't offer. I have shoulder pads of delusion, a face mask of pleasing people, and shin guards of distraction. I've got plenty of choices to slip into them without even thinking. He says, psychologists refer to these components, these kind of pieces of armor, as feeling defenses. The way of shielding ourselves from pain and difficult emotions in times of trauma, they um, are incredibly valuable at times. Feeling defenses are God-given measures of safety and relief when the world is unbearable. We pick them up when we're very young, So they become ingrained in our responses. They're almost instinctual. A threat appears, and immediately our defenses are right there to meet it. But over time, they outstay their usefulness. And we begin to live in them permanently. They start to shape our choices regardless of the situation. That's when the armor becomes a second skin, and we don't shed it. Humor that used to break the tension during a quarrel now stands as a way to keep me separated from someone else and not get close. And that happy place I used to go to in my mind that got me through the crisis now occupies your thoughts or my thoughts in real life and makes all life look miserable in pit compared to the happy place. And the perfectionism that rewarded you with a job well done now turns into an unrelenting taskmaster. Anybody see some of this armor in you? I remember uh, meeting with a guy who um, I went to high school with. And his brother and sister-in-law were members here. And um, he was in the hospital. And I I said to the family, I go, can I go visit him? You know, I remember him from high school. And they said, sure. So I visit him, and and this was the first day he could have, like, solid food. Because he had drank so much, he was ruining his body. They knew him by the first name in the ICU. And and I remember being there with him, and I said, you know, hey, how about your brother and I go, and we just clean your house out of any kind of uh, temptations. And he, he, it was like somebody else was speaking through him. No, I'm only going to drink the Lutheran beverage, right? And, uh, and so he's like, cutting out hard liquor, that means only beer. And so I, I shared my testimony with them, and I said, hey, how about, you know, I, I go to an AA meeting with you? Now, I'd never been to an AA meeting, but I figured I'd go with him. And I, I started going with him when he got out of the hospital, and he came to a point where he admitted, like, hi, my name is such and such, and I'm an alcoholic. And and then summer came, and uh, and I went on vacation, and then he kind of blew me off a couple times. and So we went through you know, a number of weeks where he we didn't go to any meetings, and then we connected again, and I picked him up. And when I met him at his door, his skin was a different color. Like, he was greenish, you know, and I'm like, dude, you do not look good. And he's like, oh, I just need sun, you know. He's in denial. He's jaundice, right? And we go to the meeting, and and, uh, we get in the car at the end, and I say to him, what do you want me to say at your funeral? And he was shocked that I asked that question. But he was killing himself. You know, they knew him in the ICU. had been there many times And he goes, will you pray with me? And I'm like, yeah, but not now, when we get to my driveway. And I'm like, sure, I'll pray with you then. So we go to his, we had to get a newspaper, and then we go to his driveway, and um, I'm like, hey, see you later. He goes, aren't you going to pray? Of course I forgot. And uh, I'm like, sure. So I pray, and he starts going, woo, woo, woo. I'm like, woo, a Holy Ghost meeting, you know. (laughs) And, uh, And then we stop praying, and I go, what's up, you know? And he goes, I got goosebumps all over my body. I'm like, you know, the Lord loves you, and he's pursuing you, you know, and he wants to heal you. Well, he kind of blew me off again, and then I get a call from his brother that he found him, and he, he basically had drunk himself into a coma, and he never was conscious again. Um, and I did his funeral here, here in Brecksville. And, uh, and the, the denial is so strong, Right? You and I, we can wear this this denial as armor, but God says, put on the belt of truth. And you know, belts are funny things. They're not really protective gear, are they, right? I got stretchy belts because I have like heavy phones, heavy stuff hanging off. If I didn't have this tight belt, it would not be a good sermon. (laughs) And, you know, it's kind of hidden, you know, and... It belts, they, you know, they, they, they wore like garments in the day, kind of like pastor robes. And I have, a, I have a pastor robe or two, and, and it has a, 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 a cloth, like tie, rope thing. And you tie it up like Friar Tuck. And if I were to try to run in that thing, it wouldn't work. I would have to gird up my loins, right? <laughs> gird up your loins. And I'd have to lift the dress up, kind of, and tuck it in somehow, so I could run. And the, the belt of truth is, is kind of hidden, you know. But truth is so important, right? I mean, the scriptures say, therefore, stand having the belt of truth. And so why start with truth? I think they start with truth because Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And when you and I are in this mystic, sweet union with God, you are in union with the truth. Truth is a person, you know, some people look and they go, well, you know, God God is like an elephant. And all the religions are like blind men, women, people, whatever, going up to the elephant and feeling something. And this one feels its leg and says, God is like this, 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 this leg and it's strong. And then somebody feels the tail and says, God is like... This tail, and another one feels the trunk, and no, God is like this. And, and they say, Well, all these religions just have a picture or a piece of God. And then, and, and you know, that why that illustration breaks down is because somebody sees the elephant. The person who thought of the illustration sees the elephant, knows what God is like. God is not an elephant, God is Jesus, and the fullness of deity dwells in Jesus. Jesus said, no one comes to the Father except through me, right? I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And then he followed that with, no one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is truth incarnate. And we put the belt of truth on. We slide into this mystic union we have with truth. And then I'm like, well, is it my truthfulness or is it God's truthfulness, right? Is the belt of truth me speaking truth or is it God? I really think it's God's objective truth because us humans, we struggle with telling truth. We do. Many people lie on their resumes, right? Um, yeah, I mean, they, they put all kinds of stuff on it. You have like 40% of people lying on their resumes for job applications, you know. There's, there's a small amount of misleading information, you know, um, my, my buddy in college, he says, hey, you want to read my resume? I go, sure, you know, senior year. I read it, and you know what he has on his resume? Big game hunting. <laughs> Gretchen knows who it is. Um, and I'm like, I've known you. You've never been big game hunting. He's like, deer. I'm like, deer is not big game. That's deer hunting, you know. And, you know, it's so, so funny. He left it on. Big game hunting, right? Because somehow people are going to hire him if he's a big game hunter, right? <laughs> you know, and this is, lying happens all the time, right? Uh, Forbes magazine some many years ago had this, we lie to avoid awkwardness or punishment. We lie to maintain relationships. You know, I say to people, especially in confirmation class, uh, some people will say, you know, if I was born with this kind of sinful proclivity, it's like, you know, if I was born with these sinful desires, then God must want me to live into them, right? Because I was born this way. And I think my kids were born liars, right? Anybody teach their kids to lie? Herbie, you teach your kids like, hey, you're going to need this someday. It's really important. I want you to do a good job at it, let's practice, right, on mommy. No, I'm kidding. You're like, you know what I mean? Like, no, they get fear, I I didn't do it, right? You're like, no, who taught them that, right? They they are natural-born liars. Do we allow them to live into it? No. And many times, so we lie, uh, lie because it's awkward. Somebody calls you and is like, hey, how about getting together Thursday, you know? And you're like, oh, you know, I'm busy, right? liar right you don't go you know i really don't want to i'm tired i think i just want to watch netflix and go to bed right you don't say that you're like i'm busy or my wife has me doing something you know i mean like you make something up because it's awkward or because you don't want to tell the truth See, we lie to maintain relationships to please others and of course we lie to please ourselves whether we're embellishing our credentials or strengthening our stories You know, for some reason, we're not enough, right? We're not enough. We often tell untruths that make ourselves appear or feel better. So we lie to others, but we also lie to ourselves. And in the book that uh, I quoted from earlier, he says, I have lies that become like a safe spot for me. They're a refuge for me. He says, one of my lies is this. I can understand or think my way out of a problem. I've had perplexing situations happen in my life that is like a puzzle and you, don't, you can't figure it out. You, and you spin and you think, if I just think about it again or try to figure it out a little more, I can figure it out. And you can't always figure your way out of why things happen, why are things going on. But you think you can. He says, if I keep busy, I won't have to face the pain. How about that lie? If I keep busy, I won't have to face the pain. Isolation, you know, something that causes shame. You say, if I isolate, it will prevent shame from happening. No. I can work my way, perform my way into grace. You sin, and you're like, if I can just be good enough, good enough, good enough, ah, somehow now grace is back, right? I can fill the void inside my life with possessions, distractions, and video games, right? Like, Like, you try to fill this emptiness that you feel, and, you know, that list could go on, right? There's a lot of things that we can try to put in the voids of our lives when we're uncomfortable in our own skin. Talking about a problem will make it worse. So don't tell anybody. Lying itself is a kindness. Look at that. So, Jesus uh, comes on the scene, and he's baptized, And a voice comes from heaven and says, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. You see, I think when you and I hear that voice come to us, you are my beloved child in whom I'm well pleased. It's protection against lying. Because you got everything you ever needed in that voice. You don't need to try to lie to protect or lie to hide or lie to be somebody. If God says you're, if God is for you, who can be against you? Now, here's what's interesting, and here's the spiritual battle. He gets baptized. He has a voice from his father just affirming his identity. And then what does Satan say to him? First, 40 days, he's hungry, thirsty, And Satan comes to him, if you're the Son of God, what did the voice say? You are the Son of God. What is he saying? Huh? Prove it. Prove it. Prove you're the Son of God. Make some bread for yourself. You're hungry. Make some bread, right? Prove it to yourself. Prove it. Like, no, no. And then a little bit later, again, if you are, he challenges the voice of God. You know, jump off here. The angels will just carry you down, right? Like, if you are the son of God. And you and I, we get challenged. The world wants to speak to us all the time. And it says, find your identity in, your, in the money you make, in your career choice, in how well you parent, or in your sexuality. Find your identity in your sexuality, right? Or we, we live in a crazy world now that you can just change your identity based on the whims of your heart. You know, oh, I want to change my gender. Be this or be that. And God would say, no, find your identity in my voice. Like if God calls you his child, you have everything you're looking for in that voice. Because the world's voice is addictive. Because it always says more. Give me a little bit more. Prove yourself a little bit more. Not enough. Jump higher, right? There's an addiction connected to the voice of the world, but the voice of God comes in and says, you are my beloved child. And you know what it produces? Courage. Courage. Right? When you listen to the voice of God, you can be vulnerable because God is for you, who can be against you? You can love others, right? Because if God loves me, I can now give that love to others. You can try and you can fail because if God loves you, right? If you're his beloved child, yes, you failed, but you're still his child, right? You have courage to try, courage to be real, to confess your sins. Courage to stand alone when nobody else is saying, oh, following Jesus is really a wonderful thing, right? You have courage. Courage to believe that God loves you. Courage to believe that God is with you in your suffering. Courage to hope. Courage to be thought less of when you don't win. And courage to bring Jesus to the world. You see, the fight The fight for the belt of truth is the fight for belief. I mean, that's the work of God, is to stand and believe what he says about us. They asked Jesus, tell me, what work should we perform? What does he say? The work of God is this, believe in the one he has sent. And that's our work too. All our behavior flows from our inner beliefs. And when you and I are grounded in the truth that we are blood-bought children of the Father, there's courage there to go out. The belt is truth about our deepest people, deepest who we are. Pray with me, Lord. I pray that you would uh, pour your grace out upon each person here. These voices come to us just like they came to you. They say, prove your worth through your performance, through who you date, or who you marry, or what your identity is, and, and they speak loudly to us. And yet, your voice is quiet, and it says, you're my beloved child. To believe at the core of our being, not as we should be, but as we are, that we are your beloved. Lord, I pray for that gift upon your people. In your name, amen. Thanks for listening. For more information about Community of Hope, go to www.cohchurch.com. God bless you today.